This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I take a look back at the last several episodes of the HLP, deep dive into the monsters and Book of the Raven, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. Yeah, we're back. After not very much time. Not very much time. We're doing this the day after the Milwaukee Expanse <laughs> review. Yeah, really strange recording schedule for this one. We don't usually do this for Zone of Truth because the bi-weekly show, but you know the way things fell this these uh, couple weeks coming up? We got to bank them. Yeah. So I think it's are. good because you know it's good to have an episode that's 100% about a review and then an episode that's 100% about the show. So mm. it, it comes at a good time. Yeah, I think so, too. I think we're going to have some fun today, Greg. Oh, this yeah, is going to be a good one. It's nice and chill. I don't got to worry about reading a book or anything. I'm just hanging out. Yeah, let, let me do the talking. <laughs> That's right. I'm just going to throw questions at you for the next 60 to 90 minutes, and then we're going to call it a day. Yeah. We, we have some drinky poos, too. Right. And that was the first question I was going to ask you. What are we drinking today, man? So we're drinking seltzers don't know what flavor i gave you but i'm drinking a white peach hard seltzer from clear and press which is the brew dog seltzer line mm. yeah i also have one of these clean and press actually i got two over here thank yeah, you very much well. i have the mixed berry that's the one i'm starting on because i think that's probably the safer bet this next flavor i'm gonna be honest brew dog i'm a little concerned but if you pull it off i'm gonna be very impressed grapefruit and blood orange yeah, we'll see. Right. You tend to like the citrusy one, so I gave you that yeah. one because I have the black cherry. And yeah, I'm pretty traditionally meh. Pretty on cold a black on black cherry. cherry. You know what I'll tell you? Seltzer. This this white peach is really good. Really? Yeah. I would like to give that a try. Absolutely. Let me crack open the mixed berry and let you know what I think. It's clean. It doesn't have that weird seltzery aftertaste that sometimes you get. Uh, I really like mine. Yeah, that's not too bad. We're switching here. Oh, you know what? I like the mixed berry too, but it, yeah. I mean, I think the mixed berry tastes very close to a truly berry. Yeah, I think that's fair. I prefer the peach there, but they both kind of rock. Good job, Brewdog. We'll see how you do on the grapefruit and blood orange. <laughs> All right, Griffin. Well, we did not have an opportunity to get into this last time that we spoke on a zone of truth because we had too much to talk about, too yeah. much to review. Two hours of stuff. <laughs> Two hours of stuff. Oh, boy. So what's been going on in your life, man? We got this segment that's called Quarantine Updates, but we're not really quarantined anymore. We got to rename that segment, too, by the way. Yeah, I think we we might have talked about it on a live that we need to rename the segment yeah. a couple of times ago. And then it's been like two months. Just and we haven't life done anything updates. About it. Um, Hmm. Well, I think I think why don't we start with talking about what we both wanted to talk about? Because two zone of truths ago, we talked about how the second season of Beastars came out, and I believe both of us watched that in its entirety. Yeah, and I would be fine just cutting out all these HLP recap episodes just to talk about just Beastars. to talk about Beastars. Yeah. What did you think of the second season? I'll tell you what. Let's turn the clocks back about a year to the drop of Beastars season one. Mm-hmm. I watched that season in about two days, and then I came on the show and said, I honestly don't know if I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. 
It was strange. I was very hooked, but I don't know. I didn't know how I felt about it. Beastar season two hits. Well, I'm gonna watch it. Watch the first episode, felt largely the same. I'm like, okay, here we go again. It's gonna be interesting at least, but am I gonna get really excited about it? And then, I don't know, something clicked in me. Episode two hits of season two, and I was hooked. I blasted through the rest of them within a couple days. I thought they took the series in a different direction. I know you kind of mentioned off air, kind of a more noir feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Season two, I, I was the same way. I think I watched it in two nights. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I liked it. It introduced some elements that I thought were kind of fucking wild. Yeah. Like the you the, know, the whole consuming meat for the predators, like actually making them kind of like I don't want to say like meta human because they're not human, but like making them like super strong or whatever. Yeah. And like the uh the extra strong predators having to take drugs to make them weaker so that they don't accidentally damage other people. Yeah, and they they did a really good job of handling that, I think. I thought the Ruiz or Lewis, I think, depending on whether you're watching subs or dubs, mm-hmm. uh, the the deer man yeah. leading the lion mafia was, was wild, really, cool. really cool. Yeah, and interesting for his character. I really enjoyed that. I'm not going to spoil how the season ends, but the final fight was wild. I thought, yeah, the way that it played out, and still like the resolution of that hit strangely it wasn't like you know i I can't say anything i can't comment on it It i really didn't i really didn't think they were even going to get into tying up like the intro to season one no which was like the the intro to season one kind of sets up the divide between the predators and the or the the carnivores and the herbivores Mm -hmm. with a student being eaten Mm -hmm. a herbivore student being eaten by a carnivore and i didn't think that was ever going to because I haven't read the manga or anything. I haven't looked at anything Beastars except for the anime. And I was not expecting to get resolution on that, honestly. I thought I wasn't sure what this season was going to do, but I thought it was going to feature more Haru and Lagoshi than yes. it did, for sure. Season one seemed to be more of the romance between the two of those characters, and then season two... That gets put slightly on the back burner yeah. for this mystery solving. And that's not to say that there isn't and like romance. the strange Lagoshi training montage that's like half the season. Ooh, yeah. Is- you know what? I, I got a question for you, Griffin. Hmm. What do you think? Do you prefer Lagoshi with all his fur or white Lagoshi? Ooh, I he's not white Lagoshi, he's shaved Lagoshi. Well, yeah. I mean, he's shaved and all his gray tips go away, which was kind of right. weird. Uh Ooh, I don't know. I like Lagoshi with fur. Yeah. I, don't I think know. he just looks kind of weird. It was growing on me. The, the well, it was growing on the growing. it was growing on the ladies at school too. Oh, you're not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. They were into it. Ooh boy. Lots to unpack. I thought there. the I thought the fight scenes lived up to, if not exceeded, season one. Like season one at the end of season one with the whole culmination of like Lagoshi infiltrating mm-hmm. the mob and everything was like some brutal and crazy fight scenes in that and I think season two kind of lived up to that with just the like 
It almost felt like schoolroom brawl taken to like a deathmatch level. Yes. The show has a weird inconsistency to it that I think works in its favor where they'll have three or four episodes that is like intrigue and romance and then they'll have brutal combat. Yeah. There is a fight in season two that I really, really liked where Lagoshi, I'm not going to say what character he's fighting because that is a huge spoiler, but this character has old scars down his chest and Lagoshi rips them back open and says something really epic when he does. And I almost like jumped out of my seat when I saw that I was so hyped. It was well animated. It looked awesome and it had a really huge emotional impact, which is really cool. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'm definitely on the Beastars train. I'm excited for season three. Maybe I should read the manga. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to spoil myself for the anime, though. Like, I've been really enjoying the anime. And from what I've heard, they're being pretty true to the manga. Yeah, that's a tough conundrum that I feel like I always fall into with a series that comes from a book or a book that comes from a series, vice versa. If I start one or the other, I'll catch up on one and get excited to pick up the other. But then I, I don't know if it's going to ruin it for me, like you said. I don't know. I, I ruined The Walking Dead for myself that way. I read all of the graphic novel. Oh, really? And then I was just like, then it just pissed me off when when they diverged from it mm-hmm. over and over. Because I, I just felt like consistently, I was like, this isn't a good divergence. Like, I don't like where this is going because it ended so epically here. Yeah. I really don't like that you're just like, okay, well, this character dies in book two when they should have survived three more seasons and they did all this epic shit in the manga or in the graphic novel. I read The Walking Dead up until they got to the prison. I think because at the time that was the only big collected like volume, the big volume that, the, yeah. that the library had at the time. Was, was the rest of it good? Did you like it? I did. It suffers a little bit like the show suffered, I think. It mm. just kind of gets into this weird territory with Alexandria and stuff. Yeah, it kind of stagnates a little bit there. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think that the graphic novel, in my opinion, is better than the show, obviously. I, th- I think the show had a good, like, first four seasons or whatever, and then it's just kind of dragged yeah. on with all the main characters leaving. I fell off of it pretty much the same time I think most of the world also fell off of it when they're in Alexandria and... Ooh, what the hell is his name? Negan. Negan is the bad guy, which I really did like him as a bad guy. I think Negan stays the bad guy for like a pretty fucking long time, Mm -hmm. like several seasons. Yeah. I just kind of fell off of it. And I couldn't even really tell you why. I just kind of got disinterested. Yeah. I don't know that there's one thing that I could pick out that turned me off, but I was just kind of done with it. I was tired of the lack of conflict or resolution that seemed to have. It seemed to feel like there was one conflict arc resolved in every like half season so it felt like a tv show with a ton of filler Mm -hmm. and that was like intentionally cliffhangering you on every episode and like none of those cliffhangers mattered yeah or paid off like the whole like glenn goes under a dumpster with 30 zombies and like survives for no fucking reason only to you know be killed like three episodes later yeah just really dumb stuff what can you do? Well, I'll tell you what. This Walking Dead conversation, what would it turned into, started with a conversation about beasts that have sex. But Griffin, how about you tell me about some sexy beasts? Another new Netflix show. Uh, it's a dating show where everybody wears these crazy good 
uh, like FX artists, masks and getups, mm-hmm. like uh, like heavy prosthesis and yeah, yeah, makeup like and stuff. Uh, it really does a good job of hiding their appearance, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And they go on dates, and they date like they. It, it's like usually a woman or a man that dates three people, and. Oh boy, it's it's just a the people on it are a little weird. Okay. And it's a really weird dating show. Sounds promising. And like there was a guy in a beaver getup who was like trying to get like he had some horrible like FX prostheses in his mouth oh, to no. give him the beaver teeth. So they're they're like sending him on dates with women like to a bar and stuff and he's like having to like lift the teeth and like try and drink. Mm. And then at the end of all of his dates he's like trying to get the chicks to like kiss him on top of the beaver teeth. Oh. It's no. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh no. So that's just that's just one of the many delightful things you'll uh, you'll see in Sexy Beasts. It's trash TV. It's really funny and fun to watch. So I recommend it. I'm really on the fence about that one, but that beaver nonsense might have put me over. That sounds really funny. Yeah, it's it's super corny. All right, dope. Anything else you wanted to call out up at the top here? Nah, I'm good. All right, I'll tell you what. You know what? Hey, I had a very fruitful Half Price Books run a couple weeks ago. Yeah? I got all seven Stephanie Meyer-related Twilight books. Here it goes. And... I am halfway through the first book. Incredible. No notes. It is great literature. The first the Twilight? Yes. So my plan is, of course, I need to feather in things like any further Pathfinder 2E releases or new Star Wars books or what have you. But I'm going to try and go through all seven books that are out there right now. Oh, boy. So that is... Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn. Uh, the rest of them, I fucking have no idea what the names are. But the <laughs> the gender bent one. There's yeah, there's the one that is the original Twilight, but they flipped the genders, which I believe you said you looked up and you said the fans just call it a shameless cash grab. Yep. <laughs> we'll tell you what they did it again too, because that first book also has a third telling of it that is just the first book from Edward's perspective gonna read that too and there's another book that's about some side character so i'm in i'll be sure to keep the listeners updated i'm glad you're entertained having the fucking time of my life who knew at 28 you'd be deep diving into ya vampire novels yeah hey you know what i'm gonna directly call out some people on the discord that said that this is a cry for help and uh i'm doing great all right. Living your best life. I'm living my best life. I got nothing to hide here. I'm loving it. All right. So let's get into the meat of this episode. We wanted to get together because we haven't done this in a while and run through the last several episodes of the HLP, not just because we wanted to talk about it, but there has been so much in these last few episodes. I know you've taken some creative liberties with some of the builds and items and enemies, but also there's just a ton of lore Yeah. that... When I was reviewing my notes, I was like, we got to talk about this stuff. So last we had an official recap, I believe we kind of finished with the Yang Thief fight. Yeah. So that would have been in episode 151. And in that episode, we had a very, very close call where Matumbe was almost killed by a confused air bear. 
There was lots of heart-to-heart -heart after that. Eclipse wanted to kill Air Bear. We found out the Dominion of the Black is here. They venerate Shubnagrath, and carvings show the planet Octurn hatching. Butterflies and whippoorwills guide Matumbe down the hall towards something. Don't know what it is quite yet. And then the episode's over. So now that the scene is set, let's jump into episode 152. Nethel gone. Yeah. All right. So this episode kicks off where the party heads down that path that the butterflies and whippoorwills let us down. And we see some scum that have these exposed brains. They seem to be pulsating in sync with each other, almost like they're sharing some sort of dream or something, hypnosis, maybe. I'm not quite sure, but they are slumbering in and around these chambers that appear to be the places where these scum mate with regular ladies from the mainland and reproduce. Then this becomes the showdown between all of these scum and the Nethao Goo that ends with Eclipse and Matumbe killing the Nethao Goo, which made me happy, and the rest of us cleaning up some scum here. So Griffin, I've got a question for you right off the rip. Sure. We've talked about this one specific Nethao Goo several times. Was this the one? Because later on in some of these episodes that we're going to discuss, there's mention that there are more of this creature. Yep. Okay. So I was very excited during this episode because I thought we killed it. And then later on, I thought, oh shit, did I get excited for nothing? Yeah, this is definitely the one. This is the one that's been following you all the time. This is the one that warned Air Bear to stay away, almost killed him. Mm hmm. It's the one that's kind of been at your back this entire adventure and the one that you saw hatch out of Antrellis. Antrellis the Mad yeah. in like episode seven or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. That's that's a long time ago. So what was this encounter supposed to be? Because I don't think that's probably how this was written quite. It's kind of a rolling encounter with the scum with their exposed brains. Mm -hmm. I, re I think I've talked about this before, but I remade those scum as slayers instead of rangers. Yep. Just to, it felt like it beefed them up a little bit in terms of having a big combat with a bunch of them. This also played really well into the terrain in your favor in that we're kind of in this intersection or series of intersections with all of these interlocking chambers. We're dead set in the middle. All of these Slayer scum kind of rush to the middle. We're trapped between them and Slayers get flank. Yep. Get sneak attack. So that starts to add up really, really quickly with this amount of enemies. Yeah. It's kind of a pushover fight in the book because it, they're all rangers and there's like a D4 of them in each room or something mm -hmm. like that. And there's no Nethal Goo. And I think the Nethal Goo split the party's focus and really allowed the scum to do a lot more damage. Nethal Goo aren't in this book. They don't exist in this. Mm -hmm. So any Nethal Goo, Yang Thies, that kind of stuff, that's all added by me. There's different stuff like dimensional shamblers but this encounter was strictly scum in the book very cool very cool all right so we go through this is there anything else from this encounter that you might want to bring to attention here um not particularly i think you know the nethal goo almost killed eclipse mm -hmm. which i think got glossed over a little bit yeah because i that was like the first did. time i did a hold person and i wanted to be like 
Nobody knows what happened. Because I feel like that's how a hold person would actually happen. Like, Eclipse would go still. Yeah. Right? Especially when it's like a spell-like ability from a creature. Nobody really would know that that has happened until Eclipse, like, on her turn cannot move. That is one of those tough GM situations. You cast a spell, maybe it's successful, and then you say, Hey, Haley or Emily or Steve or whoever... Your character is held person, and then the other three people at the table start frantically looking at their sheets, either to figure out how to solve it, oh, or throw protection from evil, or whatever. Yeah, or readjust their tactics even in combat to kind of compensate for that. But is that how that should be played out? Probably not. So I, th- I think you did the right thing there. Again, to the party's detriment, but like, I-, I think that worked. Right, and then she saved immediately on her next turn, which just happened to be like she acted after or acted like right before the Nethalgu went again. Mm-hmm. So it like did that, moved over to her, and then was going to coup de gras her if she did not succeed. I'm glad that didn't happen, but this is one of the fights in this little mini dungeon here. Or Well, maybe I shouldn't say mini dungeon. I think it's just a full-blown-ass dungeon that would have some sort of, I feel, um, what's the right word for this? It would have some sort of emotional payoff if someone had to die in one of these encounters like if you died in the yank the encounter like that kind of sucks yeah it's just kind of a encounter to wear you down or whatever but if you die to somebody that has been chasing you for 150 episodes at least you died to somebody that's been chasing you 150 episodes right so glad it didn't happen but had it had at least it would be somewhat of a poetic moment it actually bumped up the CR of this encounter pretty substantially because oh, sure. the, the Nethal Goo is a CR 8 mm-hmm. and each of the scum are like level 3 slayers mm-hmm. and being a scum bumps their CR a little bit. I think they're like CR 4 individually. Like not not a scum without levels but just an individual yes. like level 3 yes. whatever scum I think is a CR 4 so when there's like how many were there? <laughs> Ten? Oh, I'm not sure. It's, yeah, at least seven or eight. Yeah. Ten's probably fair. Yeah, so, you know, factor all that together, I think this was like a CR 11 or yeah, probably like a CR 11 encounter. You. All right, well, the next encounter is also really brutal, but we got to get through stuff before we get there. So we head south to this shrine of Dagon in this room, this big cavern. The later we found out, it's got a Shub Nagrath slant now. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but like clearly this was the scum's home. Yeah. Like with all this Dagon stuff, like they were Dagon worshippers. Mm-hmm. Until the Dominion of the Black came and, you know, cut off all their scalps. Yeah. And like started subjugating them. Yeah, I started to put that together later that they may not be necessarily willing partners in this. Like with with all of the with all of the stuff you've been hearing from Mm -hmm. topside too, like, oh, we haven't seen the neighbors in a long time. Like, oh, the neighbors started coming less and less frequently. Right. That's when that stuff starts to pay off. And the sort of red herring that I got was that there's a fully functional temple of Dagon upstairs, you know, in the town. Right. And wasn't that also sort of hidden? It wasn't blatantly. It was hidden, was disguised as a temple of Gazra. Mm-hmm. And that would have been like, it's always been that way. Like you sure. just don't want outsiders to town coming in and seeing your demon lord worship or whatever. Yep, yep. 
So they disguise that, but that that's not like a recent thing. Mm-hmm. Your characters feel more like, oh, hey, this is clearly like a defaced Dagon temple that's being changed. Right. So I do like unveiling these weird, maybe the word is, or maybe it's not political struggles that are happening off camera between the Dominion of the Black and this clan of scum between the Dominion of the Black and the Whispering Way as we're finding little pieces of evidence and exposition and what have you that paint a picture of events that we were not party to. I've been enjoying that. That's been pretty cool. I've been saying it this entire book. I don't know what's going on between the Whispering Way and the Dominion of the Black. Clearly, it's not black and white. They're not hand-holding partners here. And I think we still have a lot to learn. Yeah. But we're learning more and more of it as we go, painting the picture. All right. So also in this room is this cocoon or rather piece of an old one that's here now. The whole party, minus Matumbe, fails some sort of will save and picks up a lesser madness. When this happens, Aranel goes to the pedestal that's in this room and turns from a ghostly black raven into this white living creature. Matumbe opens the book and that basically ends the episode. So I have some questions here and these are not just for the listener. I actually don't know all the answers to these questions. Mechanically, what happens to Aranel here and how does it affect Eclipse's character build? So Aranel becomes an improved familiar. Okay. Which normally you would have to take a couple feats to pull that off. I believe we statted Aranel as a psychopomp, which makes sense. Yeah, that's that's apropos. instead of a whippoorwill, a uh, a raven, and it's basically giving Eclipse like the improved familiar feet and stuff for free, which allows her to actually have a familiar. So all the benefits that come with having a familiar, being able to communicate with Aranel is now a real thing. Even though Aranel used to talk and usually provided like vague like yes round yep type stuff now can actually speak with eclipse and is no longer undead so that's saw killed aranel years and years ago Mm -hmm. yeah that's something we talked about actually just yesterday in that episode 100 when eclipse and saw now sawyer finally met we, we never had a, a, a big moment between Saw and the fucking bird that he killed canonically in uh, the first evil interlude. Yeah. <laughs> Just something funny, I, I thought. All right, so where, where did this come from? Was this something that you brought to Haley? Did you surprise her with Haley it? I surprised Haley with okay. this. Okay. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure if this was something maybe that she was interested in investing feats in or something, and you're like, okay, I'll work this in. Nope. Much like as we'll get into the Book of the Raven mechanically changes Matumbe for the stronger. This was one of those situations where, for story reasons, I'm giving Eclipse free feats. Okay. So it does make her somewhat mechanically stronger, but I didn't really think Haley was going to go down the route of investing feats in Aranel in the first place because I think I remember early on saying like hey you could make Aranel a familiar if you wanted to like you just gotta you know grab the feet otherwise he's just gonna like provide that initiative benefit yeah 
So remember, those of you imagining these scenarios and scenes in your own heads at home, now Eclipse has a big-ass bird on her shoulder. And the goofy hat. The goofy top hat. <laughs> And the goofy hat. Yes. All right. That's where Arenel lives now, inside the goofy hat. Ooh, I'm interested in that. <laughs> so then we roll into the next episode, Ironbound and Down. Matumbe opens the book, his old book, the original one that he got from the Cleric of Phrasma in my episode one flashback, crumbles to dust. And things seem to copy out of that book into this new one. I'm going to repeat some of the things that you mentioned in episode, and then we're going to dive more into what this book actually is, what you changed, all of that fun stuff. So this book was blessed by every bishop in Caliphas over the last 400 years. The last owner was Prince Veerholt, who shaped how the book would be used. It's one of the first living grimoires and was killed on the Isle of Terror. That's pretty fucking intense. Yeah. Additionally, it can be destroyed if used to help create a lich. And what we know is the Whispering Way has been trying to get this book from its current owners, the Dominion of the Black. Why? Not quite sure yet. But here's what it is, folks. You gotta know that Living Grimoire is not a popular archetype. So the people that wrote this adventure path did not insert a specific Living Grimoire artifact in this module. So what changed? What was supposed to be there? So this was supposed to be an item called the uh, Raven's Head. Mm -hmm. It's a mace. Uh, this weapon is an important part of Usulavik and Phrasman history and is immediately recognized by any priest of Phrasma, granting the bearer a plus four circumstance bonus on diplomacy checks with such individuals. Ooh. Um, what it did, holy to the faith of Phrasma, imbued with the power of all the bishops of Usulav, this gold-plated plus three undead bane heavy mace has a head fashioned into the shape of four raven's heads from which it gets its name. It was the symbol of office for the Bishop of Caliphas until Prince Ad Admundi Veerholt lost the mace in a battle against the Whispering Tyrant. A character with the ability to channel positive energy gains the channel smite feat while wielding Raven's Head if she does not already possess the feat. In the hands of a cleric of Phrasma, Raven's Head gains the disruption quality and the wielder can use the channel smite feat as if she were a cleric of four levels higher, plus two on the DC and plus two D6 damage, and an extra three times per day. If successfully used as a component in the creation of a lich, Raven's Head's power is broken forever. This is what it looks like. Yeah, I've actually never seen this. Guys, it fucking rocks. It's really cool. It is a mace, but the top of it, instead of having like a big ball or spikes or something, is four raven's beaks pointing out in directions kind of like north, south, east, and west on a compass. And I guess you're supposed to gore people. Yeah, it almost looks like a grappling hook of raven's beaks. Yes, that's a that's a very good way to describe it. It's a very cool looking item. So we talked about this a little bit in character and in episode. Matumbe gets a lot of the stuff that you've described. But you also described that that's supposed to go to clerics of Phrasma. Mm -hmm. So I remade this item mm -hmm. before we started recording. Yes. For Matumbe. So my plan was if, you know, if Matumbe died, I would just revert it to the Raven's head. But I've rebuilt the item to be the Book of the Raven. 
when you introduced uh, Inquisitor for Asthma. And I basically, uh, I wanted it to give similar benefits, but not have that cleric. Um, restriction, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I guess restriction. I mean, it's an artifact and it's like the coolest item in this adventure path. Yes. And I would have been pissed if nobody used it. It really rocks. You got to figure we're going to be fighting a lot of undead because it's undead Bane. Matumbe effectively is going to be walking into every undead encounter with a plus five weapon. That rocks. Yeah. It's the disruptive property, which I think the DC is very low. It's, it's like very a 14. Low. Yeah, but, but natural ones happen. <laughs> ones happen. Like once I start getting several attacks per round, I think I get two now. If I get haste, that's three. And if I hit on all three of those attacks, you got to roll three saves. At this level, I would expect you to save every time, probably just mechanically. Mm -hmm. But you're also rolling a d20. There's a 5% chance that enemy is just going to poof into non-existence. Right. So I'll take a 5% chance over nothing. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's one of those things where you made a choice doing the living grimoire archetype Mm -hmm. that was not going to be super optimal and was not going to be honestly like extremely combat viable. Right. And I think this kind of bridges that gap. And I wanted this item to be kind of like, like I changed the lore behind it and stuff because I wanted it to be this huge, like, link between what Matumbe has been doing his entire life and, like, giving that some perspective and purpose. It does have some interesting ramifications for his character in particular. I've tried to play up. Sometimes Matumbe starts thinking about his past and is not sure if he's made the right decision by leaving this family that he loves and that loved him, but he doesn't feel like they needed him anymore to be powerful and successful individuals Mm -hmm. versus this path that a god basically laid out for him and said, I need you to follow this because there's greatness in your future. I think that if I were Matumbe, I would have some severe difficulty picking one or the other. And he picked one and eventually finding this artifact lends some credence that he might have made the right decision. Yeah, I think it's really powerful that, you know, he is the only non-Ustalav native bishop royalty Mm -hmm. that has this book, that has been granted the power of this book. And it's not like a, like, hey, I just found this. It's like you have like the gods guiding you to the thing. You have like the My spells copied over, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like your book crumbling and being replaced. I think eventually, whether it's in book five or six, if Matumbe makes it that far, if we run into another follower of Harazma, that could lead to some very interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens if it happens. But if it does, I'm here for it. Yeah. Be really cool. Yeah, I think it will be. All right, we do got to keep moving, though, as awesome as this item is. So after we've got... Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I have one more question. True. When did you decide to tie Aranel to the Book of the Raven? Was that something from book one when you knew this item was coming eventually and we were going to have this raven sticking around Eclipse and if everything worked out perfectly, you could marry it up? Or when these two characters got close enough to this item, you're like, you know what? I can make this little cool connection here and it'll tie things together and be really cute. So it was 
part of, I guess, when Aranel stuck around, I did think like, hey, this is a really good opportunity to tie these two things together. So I had thought about it then, but the decision with like the improved familiar and all of that other stuff, it happened recently before it, before we actually hit that episode. Yeah, I was just curious. I wasn't sure if it was something you decided very early on and were praying it came true or if it's something you figured out and then filed away for later. I think that's kind of how it maybe sounded like it played out. But yeah, something I was interested in. All right. Episode 153, Ironbound and Down. This is a fight that was really brutal. Yeah. We faced Lyra's mother, the anti-paladin, monstrous humanoid with a deep one subtype. She was tough and had a lot of emotional significance for our party. So can you talk us through what her build was? Sure. I don't think, tell me I'm wrong, but I don't think this is how Lorna appears in the written. Lorna is, there's no Lorna. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, Lorna was added because of Lyra. Uh, There's a stupid fish man priest in this room. Uh, that's like a, you know, level nine cleric of Shubnagrath or something. Nope. Really dumb, really boring, tired of fighting fish dudes, honestly. Um, this, yeah, this, I, I wrote this into the story basically because of Lyra, like Lyra's backstory and that kind of thing. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, God, I spent a ton of time writing for book four like as we started getting into it and as the Abaddon arc was happening and that kind of thing. And I was trying really hard to kind of make good on the promise I made that Lyra's story wouldn't end with her death. And so this character is basically uh, explains what was going on with Lyra. Sure. You know, the Dominion of the Black infiltrated, had a pregnant woman um, and tried to imbue the power of Shubnagrath into the child by making Lorna have birth on the Standing Stones, mm-hmm. succeeded. And that's kind of the whole the whole scene with Lyra, like when Lyra as a young child gets taken away, all the stuff that you find in Manus's journal is all about what's kind of going on with her. She's you know, strange and troubled child. And so Lorna never left, like the cult. And because she could give birth to such powerful things, she rose in power as well, became an anti-paladin of Shebnagrath, and basically had this divine transformation, which is what you're seeing happen in the cocoon. It's like when the veil is weakened enough, which through Lyra was able to happen, mm-hmm. Shebnagrath could basically enter the material plane and work her power or whatever um, to change Lorna. So Lorna was built as a Cicalia, I think they're called, um, the octopus people. But I kind of flavored that as like more, she just kind of had these tentacles like all over her body. She was some amalgamation of what once was a human and now has been corrupted into something. Yeah, so she has the deep template mm-hmm. and what's that do a deep template deep creatures have been twisted by the deep ones whether through interbreeding or foul rituals it gives you some swim stuff 
Uh, but she already had that as a Sicalia, so sure. uh, that didn't really matter. But it increases your strength, con, and wisdom, and gives you a natural AC modifier. So it bumps up most of your physical stats. Um, but that's about it. No weird shit from that? Um, no, not really. That's odd. You, I would think from having that subtype or whatever that it would give you something weird and different because they talk about getting corrupted by the deep ones. But, you know, it's a buffer to stats. It's always good. Yeah. All right, what else you got going on? Uh, she is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight level anti-paladin. Mm. So eighth level anti-paladin on top of a very strong creature. I think a Cicalia or the non-player character version of it is like a CR6. Sure. And then with the deep template, that's even more. So she was pretty strong. Yeah, so we're, we're looking at a... She's CR11 CR, by yep, herself. There you go. Yeah. And she... God, she's... <laughs> she's got, you know, some combat reflexes. She's got the Corrigan Smash Dazzling Display Intimidating Prowess build because anti-paladins have charisma. Mm-hmm. So she can do all of that, like, free intimidate when she power attacks... When she intimidates it, you know, she has a hurtful, which lets you make another attack against them and all that other shit. She's got like a cruel weapon that makes you sicken when you're shaken or whatever that does. So for those of you who are not subscribed to our Patreon at the $5 tier and up, Chris, our good buddy, was playing a Slayer in my Deepmar season two run and played a somewhat similar build under the Slayer uh, class. And so for several weeks, I was subject to that very powerful, good build crushing my monsters. And then I thought I was done with it. And then Griff, you hit me with it again. (laughs) Yeah, she's got, so anti-paladins get cruelties. So she had a conductive weapon as well. So she could like channel her negative energy, which procs her cruelty and stuff. So she can make you staggered or sickened and Oh boy, that smite good, which is what she used to basically not even full round attack and take Air Bear down in like three attacks. It, just brutal. Uh, so had I had I kind of played her more optimally and focused down some people, I think we would have had probably two deaths that combat. Yeah. Not I, to say that I feel like the character would not stab, stab, stab a downed person and would try and you know, mitigate the other up opponents. No, I I think we've had this conversation a couple times on this show specifically. That doesn't seem like a reasonable thing to do. Even if you're a crazy deep one anti-paladin, if somebody is not a threat anymore, why would you not focus on the threat? Essentially what happened was you guys saved Freya. Mm-hmm. So Air Bear going down, Matumbe getting up in the front line, Eclipse getting up in the front line, kept her from moving to Freya. Freya was her ultimate target because Freya was the cleric of a good god. Easy. My smites do even more damage against the cleric of a good god. Yep. Like she knew that that was a target she needed to take down. And you guys kind of walled her off of that. So I think that saved Freya which probably saved the rest of you. Because if Freya went down, the rest of you are not far behind. And if Freya goes down and we do survive, then it's a ticking clock until we just don't have enough healing in a later episode or encounter and somebody else will die. If it's not in this encounter, it'll be next episode or 
four episodes in the future. Yeah, it's a very, uh, I think there was a very like timely crit from Eclipse in here. Because mm-hmm. she had, I mean, dude, let me just talk about some of her fucking stats. Like flat. This is without her smite and shit on. She had a 32 AC. That's tough. Her attack bonus is a plus 14. So her trident was hitting at like a plus 20, plus 15, plus 10. <sighs> she, she had... Um, tentacles and claws she didn't use her claws because she was wielding a weapon but she could use her tentacles so she could hit two more times with tentacles her saves were a plus 19 plus 16 plus 18 get reflex well out of here her strength was a plus eight her dex was a plus four her con was a plus six just you know stacking with that deep one template and she had great charisma her charisma was a 20 Mm -hmm. uh intelligence was a nine but her wisdom was a 14 which was respectable which was helping her will save there but i mean shit when i throw that smite good on like ac 37 her first attack is at a plus 25 okay don't like, roll a one like that that's almost. that's why air bear got yeah just because because that adds her damages with the smite on 2d6 plus 35 so I knew this was going to be a meat grinder and I knew it was going to be whoever gets like, like if I crit somebody with this smite, it's just game over. Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. She was pretty strong and I knew this was going to be strong, but she had, um, she had iron skin as a spell. So she used that to great, <laughs> great, yeah. um, success. And she used, I, I think I actually have her bull strength clicked on. So she doesn't actually have a plus eight strength. I think she has a plus um, six strength. I mean, still. But still, yeah, like, very strong. Yeah, that's very respectable. And and that was helped by like that belt of physical perfection she had on and stuff, which is great loot. Like she she had really good loot on her because I built her to have that. Like yeah. I, I thought there's a lot of meh stuff down here because they give you an artifact. And so I was like, well, there should be some other loot that is at least cool. And like a belt of physical perfection is is something that like every martial character wants. And just to pull it back to the Raven's head hammer for a second, because we had to rebuild it. It doesn't just go into my hero lab as an artifact or wondrous item or whatever you call those things. It actually has a price tag on it because we pump all of my spells into it. That adds value Mm -hmm. plus all of these properties and all of this other crazy stuff this item clears 100k in gold easy and that's without like without channel ability yes that it gives you (laughs) there's nothing that the four of us have that is remotely close right and and it shouldn't be right it's it's an artifact exactly and it's just kind of funny to actually rebuild an artifact and see how much it actually costs. Oh yeah, yeah. And and there's a lot of stuff, in, especially when you're building in Hero Lab, there's a lot of stuff that's like a property that an artifact has that's cool that is just, well, I can't add this through anything. Like I can't, I can't add the ability to channel smite, like a free feed. <laughs> right, we had to really get wonky with Matoombe's character sheet to make everything work the way it should, but it, it works now. Uh, Griff, is there anything else you wanted to talk about this, uh, this mama and diamine before we move on there's still a couple things that i wanted to hit before we get to listener questions here yeah i think we can move on if you know if that wasn't enough description hit me up in the discord i can i'm happy to share a stat block cool all right we win 
Episode 154 kicks off. Haster than a speeding bullet. Great name, by the way. All right, we looted the body, found all of that cool stuff. Eclipse touches this scrimshaw, and she sees some of this stuff that we've talked about. Lyra is true resurrected and then dominated in some sort of domed enclosure, insinuated to be one of the rooms in this Odagunga structure that we're I think in. this is one of the most sadistic things that I've done off the screen. Like, it's so terrible to have basically Lorna communicate with Lyra mm -hmm. with the promise of, like, meeting her family and stuff if she comes back. Like, communicating with her beyond the grave, then bringing her back and dominating her. Yeah, uh, I asked Emily if she wanted to be on this episode to talk about some of the stuff that's very relevant to her character, and she says no because now she hates you. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. fair. I'll, I'll just bring Dr. Viv back another time to kill her. Boy, if Dr. Viv killed her current character, I think that would just be a lost friendship. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to fly through some of this stuff because it was fun to play out, but we are getting a little closer on time than I would have liked at this point. Not to say that any of this wasn't good. We just have a lot to cover still. We slept. We learn about more powers from the book. It carries some spells that are really fun and interesting and not normally available to Inquisitors. So some really cool shit there. Batume tugged on this rope and told Horus to chill out, which comes back in a funny way later, I think. Freya and Matumbe have a conversation after this conversation she has with another old one called Haster. This is the old one that gave her those powers in Abaddon with the gun after Erastil sort of left her with the forced alignment shift. One of the really cool things that I have written down here in the notes is this line, what would you rather have a living world or a dead one? That I think was interesting exposition there because that helps highlight the conflict between the dominion of the black and the whispering way. They may have partnered at some time to achieve some sort of goal, but they clearly are not quite getting along right now. Yeah. And that to me indicated that Haster's like, hey, Whispering Way's going to win if you don't join me. So that's exactly what he was implying. Yep. Turn on your friends now or the world is going to end. That's a lot to put on a person. But there's this conversation between Freya and Matume that was totally off the cuff. Neither of us, I don't think, at least I was, and I don't think Emily was, was ready for that conversation. But I really did enjoy it. Matume sees the butterflies that have been floating around and guiding us down the hallway, try to land on this gun or be around it and end up dying pretty heavy. He doesn't reveal that he sees that because he knows she's struggling and doesn't want to make it worse. Guys, listen to the song Dead Butterflies by Architects. It's what I think of every time I listen to this episode or think about this episode. We headed east and had a business interview with Ugagagol. <laughs> That's my... Ugh. All right, run me through the spelling of that name because I know it's, it's preposterous. Yeah, it's um, I don't even know if you have it right on the sheet. No, let I me, certainly don't. Yeah, let me let me pull him up. It is O G G apostrophe G G G O L. So without the apostrophe, that would be what five, five consecutive G's. Five consecutive G's. Yeah, amazing. So. He's a cerebric fungus. I think we're going to dive into that in a second when we talk about the incoming battle versus him. But we hear this crying baby. We go further in. We find out that a doesn't like the creature that's keeping it. This is a Gug Savant. 
Other Nethelgu are working in the labs. Basically, he tells us about this archive that I think Mayor Greedle is actually in. We find out that he's still alive. Mm -hmm. And there's a dome with a slug spawn experiment going on in it. If grown big enough, apparently slug spawn can pierce the dark tapestry. Seems to be at least part of, if not the Dominion of the Black's goal here. So the man in black that we've been chasing also is apparently here and important. Not in any of the rooms we're about to visit, but he's gonna happen. And Shubnagrath needs to destroy Galarian before Octurn hatches. I know I threw out a ton of exposition here. Anything to add, Griff, before we keep moving on? Uh, like, I know that's a ton and kind of barely scratches the surface. Yeah, I think that's about all that he told you. Okay. So, with the. Very knowledgeable. <laughs> Absolutely. And a, a very fun NPC. I think a fan favorite. Next episode, 155, Gateway Gug. Air Bear runs into this room to grab the kid. Mud falls from the ceiling, kind of slowing everything down. Apparently, the Gug was using its compression ability. Again, score one for Strapple. I called that. Um, <laughs> it can, they can compress. It's definitely going to be it's, in it's, the compressed hallway. It's squeezed into the hallway. It casts a spell that I wasn't familiar with, but makes the terrain not only difficult, but fucking awful. Yeah, Spike Stone. Spike Stone. It was giving us damage, and I believe it was if you fail a save, your movement gets slashed. Like, really bad? Cut in half. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about that is, I wanted you guys to have that oh shit moment, but realistically, if you take, like, any magical healing, that goes away. Yeah. So it's really not that detrimental. It sucks in the fight if everybody tries to move, and then, you know, you don't have a cleric that can burst heal everybody to fix it, but... The reason I was really freaking out in this encounter was I did not know that, and I know that's your intention, mm -hmm. but I'm looking at this as the first battle in what is going to be a long day of a dungeon crawl and the tomb bay is primarily in combat melee focused so if i gotta deal with half speed if brooks has to deal with half speed if eclipse has to deal with half speed we're gonna have not only a mechanically difficult time it's going to be a player frustrating time going through a lot of these encounters now I'm glad to hear that that would have got countered easy, but in the moment I was sweating because I wasn't worried about this combat. I was worried about the five next combat. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So eventually we got the baby out. Matumbe saves the baby just in the nick of time. The only question that I have before we move on to the next episode here is we have discussed Gugs in a creature feature in a lot of detail earlier in the Zone of Truth run, but this is not a regular Gug. This is a Gug Savant. You want to tell me what the difference is there, Griff? I think it's literally just an advanced Gug with a couple spell-like abilities. Oh, it's, all right. It's not that cool. All right. Well, <laughs> there's that. I mean, a regular Gug is like a CR9, and this is a CR10, so it's not really... Yeah, Gugs are really cool creatures. I encourage you guys to listen back to our old episode. Why would... No, if they're listening to this episode, they've listened to that one. Probably. Clearly. Uh, go back. We have no idea which one it is. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> go, go listen to that old oh, episode. Oh, that might be uh, tw 22? Yeah, it's 22. Go listen to episode <laughs> 22 of uh, Zone of Truth. I believe they are in Darklands Revisited, too. Really good few pages on them. Check it out. The Gug Savant is a really cool creature, even though it's not apparently a huge upgrade or change from Gug. It's still cool, though. Now, 
I want to spring something on you, Griffin. Yeah. And I know you're not ready for this. But this is going to come out after episode 156, which as of right now has yet to be named. Uh Uh-oh. I think we should name this episode right now. Now, let me walk through this episode. We talk to Ugagagol. We get a break. Eclipse Dimension Doors to Horus to give him the baby. They have a ridiculous conversation. Yep. She makes her way back. The workplace tour continues. Ugagagol sees through Matumbe's lie that Lorna's dead and it wasn't our fault. Combat begins and we fight this cerebric fungus. Honestly, Eclipse pretty much solos this encounter. Yep. As Freya and Matumbe are locked in black tentacles literally the entire episode. Air Bear helps a little bit, maybe in the beginning, but then also runs into his own problems. Eclipse kills this thing with a massive crit, but not without penalty as she is hit with several touches of idiocy and has significant penalties to her mental stats going into the eventual episode 157. I think maybe there's a corporate espionage slant here for the episode title. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, this is tough. Usually like to find a punny title. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to stick with whatever we come up with. Yeah, I know. That's that's what I'm worried about. I'm putting us on the spot here. Like CR violation. Ooh, that's pretty good. Because we do talk about the CR, creature Creature resources, resources. of course. But it also works for challenge rating. Mm Mm-hmm. I do like the double entendre there. Yeah. Nothing rhymes with all. That's the sh- Yeah, definitely nothing rhymes with that word. That mess of a word. <laughs> I like my coffee like I like my tenant. It's a little long. <laughs> it is a little long. But I really like it. Are we allowed? Emily said something that episode that was like, I think Emily said it though. <laughs> it's like, HR is never on your side. It's on the side of the company. <laughs> yeah, I really did have a lot of fun having like really dumb workplace jokes. One team, one dream, and all that bullshit. Dude, this Agagol in the book is written as just like he's supposed to like ask you all these incomprehensible questions mm-hmm. and like gets frustrated with you for not knowing the answer and attacks you. And yeah. I wanted to make him way more friendly. Mm-hmm. But like in a kind of menacing way, right? It's <laughs> not like with the Dominion of the Black Slant, which is not in the in the original writing of this. I thought that putting like a corporate slant on that would be really funny. It lightens up the mood a little bit because sometimes these dungeon crawls that you're going to be stuck in for a long period of time, in our case as a podcast, several episodes. I mean, we're probably going to clock damn near if not 10 episodes in Odagunga or around Odagunga. Yeah. That lightens it up a little bit besides just like, oh, we need to hide and sleep and then we're back at it on the grind and then we need to hide and sleep and everything is see to your pants, super tense. Of course, we had some tense interactions with, with this guy, but the tense interactions were also a little comical and fun. Yeah. Because with what he told us, everything else is going to be horror hell. Instead of quitting time, it could be critting time. Oh, that's pretty good. Did we crit against him? Yeah, that's how Eclipse finished the encounter. Just crit the fuck out of him. Did uh, like a hundred some damage. That is true. Oh, Griff, that's really good. 
All right, it's critting time. All right. All right. We're going to forget, aren't we? We probably will. Fuck. All right. Well, I hope we don't forget. Is there a play on nine to five we could do? Ooh. I think there is, but... Well, we could use that for Bestow Curse, Nine to Lives. We have a Nine Di- to lives. Diego Heavy episode. <laughs> this episode's too Diego Heavy. Maybe that's the Diego spinoff, Nine to Lives. Nine to lives. Yeah. Either CR Violation or uh, or Critten Time. Yeah. I think I think are are the two. We'll figure it out. I think we should do Critten Time. That crit was so fucking massive. It's so much damage. I thought, like, uh, from her regular hits, I thought he was going to get another turn. Mm-hmm. With, and like, I, 10 health or something. Right, right, right. He, sure. had, he had, like, 60 or 70 left. So she was hitting for, like, 30 to 40. I figured she'd hit him. He'd have, like, 20 health left. And then I might... I was actually going to have him surrender at that point. Oh, no. That but, makes me sad now. But she crit him. You see that in a lot of the Paizo adventures in the creature morale that once they get below a certain threshold they either run or surrender which i feel in play and i don't think this is just our group it never happens right well he had written into his stat block that he fights to the death because he loves the new experience or something like that okay that's that's but i was just gonna have like i wanted to have him be like no i just i just work here (laughs) Uh, didn't give him a chance that's so sad all right, well, we'll do one of those. That's great. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about mechanically for the Cerebral Fungus, or do we see most of it? I didn't really change him from the book. I guess what didn't really come up was he's a Cerebral Fungus, but also a level nine Dark Tapestry Oracle. Okay. So I a, lot of, the, a lot of the spell casting he had, sure. he was able to cast Black Tentacles because that's on the Dark Tapestry Oracle list, like the spells that they get specifically. And some of the things he did, like where he like pried into Eclipse's mind, was a uh, oracle thing, not a cerebric fungus thing. I think like the the shriek he did that nauseated Air Bear was a cerebric fungus thing. Which, by the way, like a DC fifteen, oh, uh, he missed it with like a God. fourteen. I didn't think I was gonna get anybody with it, but you know, low rolls happen. Yeah. Like we said, with the disruptive property on that look. Yeah, literal zap. It's going to happen eventually. Okay, well, if there's not a whole lot to talk about, that's not too big of a deal. And now that we've got that episode in the banks and we've got it named, and we're definitely going to remember the name, I think we still may have an episode or two to go because of the way the timeline works out with this recording and when it's actually going to drop, unfortunately. <laughs> they ain't been recorded They ain't yet. been recorded yet, so... Maybe there was some earth-shattering event that happened in the next we'll episode. We'll cover it on the next Zone of Truth. Yeah. Or the Zone of Truth after that, because the next one's live. Wow, why didn't they talk about the TPK? That's pretty weird. We'll have everybody on for that <laughs> if it happens. Yeah, that would be an emergency Zone of Truth. Yeah. All right. Everybody to the recording studio stat. Oh, no. I'm not ready for that. Okay, let's get into some of these listener questions. How does that sound? Sounds good. This first one comes from a user on our Discord called Holgrim. Hey, so Griff, how much do you see like a slow part in a book and consider swapping it for like character stuff? So if a part of a book seems boring or wouldn't be fun to listen to thinking like, let's add some stuff for say Joy's backstory or something like that. So I guess the way I interpret this question is when you're reading through an adventure for the show and you get to a part in the book that you don't think is going to either interest us 
or make for a good listening experience, how do you know when to in- inject something else? That's pretty easy. It's like when combats get repetitive in the book, mm-hmm. I change it. So when there are 30 werewolf encounters, I was about I to say it. book three. Yeah, when not. in this, when there are a ton of scum encounters, and when I really don't think that the old god cultists are interesting, I change it to Dominion of the Black because that immediately like piqued everyone's interest. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't have. A little hype in the Discord about the Dominion of the Black. People are like, okay, I'm interested here. I want to see more about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I like injecting character stuff into the story, mm-hmm. not replacing the story with character stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Like all of this stuff is injecting Lyra's story in here, but it's not replacing the gist of the book. The book was always going to be this way. There was always going to be the man in black in a further room. And even though it's not the Nethalgu, other creatures, the Migo, which I replaced with the Nethalgu, would have been doing experiments. Same as the Nethalgu are. Except they're lower CR, and you guys are like rolling through this. Like the the Migo are like CR six. It's, it's stupid. Yeah. Man, and this is a Greg Vaughn book. It should be a little, little tougher, man. I think there were some tough parts in the Undia Meat House. Yeah, I I say that, but also, especially I feel like, and you can tell me I'm wrong, but because this is. A relatively early in the run of Pathfinder 1E Adventure Paths book, the authors or the freelancers that you know made the mechanics of these fights and these encounters didn't have as much to pull from as maybe something like in Tyrant's Grasp or Return of the Rune Lords. I think that works against them a little bit. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, because you guys can bring in characters from 2020 mm-hmm. or 20. 20- 18 when we started this and those characters have six more years of seven more years of of books archetypes and equipment that fits perfectly for us and all of that a lot of people say you have to beef up stuff like rise of the rune lords because of that because it just doesn't facilitate having like a gunslinger in the party it doesn't facilitate having some of these classes like the occult classes there's like nothing for them and like an occultist can beat book two of Rise of the Rune Lords in, in a touch of an object, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, pro tip for you players at home, if you're playing like Rise of the Rune Lords or Second Darkness or something and you're fighting an occultist enemy or a mesmerist or something, that wasn't in there. Or maybe if it's Anniversary Edition, it might have been. I know they added like Fair. Vigilante in uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne that wouldn't have been in the... Yeah, and I'm looking forward to hearing that in yeah. the Stoker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but I guess to get back to the question, I definitely replace parts of the book that I think are boring mm-hmm. or I think are going to be repetitive. I don't necessarily do that with character stuff because before I do all that replacing, I'm already figuring out how to weave stuff in and make the book work with the character that is kind of having their character moment in it, like I did in book three and like I'm doing in book four. So stuff gets replaced, but it doesn't get necessarily replaced with character stuff. Sure. I think that makes sense to me. We're going to keep it moving on here. Next question comes from our buddy, 10 lawn gnomes slash Eric alternate universe where join the librarian team up to get their own bookstore slash coffee shop business off the ground in Absalom. Who are the other two characters? Great question. The way I interpret this is 
it sounds like we need to make somewhat uh, memory loss caricature characters out of Air Bear and Freya. Now, I'm not quite sure where I want to go with Freya, but Air Bear got those wandering hands. Yeah. So I think we call him the handyman. The handyman. I, I think like that's that. pretty that's good. That's great. Yeah, that's a good one. The handyman and, and like he serves coffee, like his hands bring the coffee to. There was a restaurant close by to where I went to high school in Chicago called Snackville Junction that if you sat at the bar, they had a model train that they had flat cars pulled behind the engine that they would put your order on and then they drove it to you down the bar. Of course. So that is, I feel like, something close to what you're getting at. The hand just walks with a plate on top of it. Yeah, a hand with a plate on top of it or trying to balance a cup of coffee or something. The handyman is the barista. All right, that's pretty good. I think we got air bear down. What would he do for Freya? Ooh, that's tough. Um, it's got to be something medical, right? Yeah, I didn't want to say wet nurse, but... Don't. Okay, I won't. Take it back. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> She froths the milk. Fuck, that's so gross. Oh <laughs> uh, boy. Mm. No, she's the uh, she's the corrupt. Ah, what's the what's the word? The the health inspector. Health she's inspector. A, but she's the corrupt health inspector because she because uh, she's a super spreader of yeah. Disease. She's a super spreader of disease. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what her name would be. I feel like that's what she should do. She should be the health inspector. Like if you this know, is if this is gonna be like a comedy thing, it's like they're running a library slash coffee shop, and Air Bear like she she's like making sure Air Bear has washed his. Uh... That's pretty good. You know what? I, it might be a little anachronistic for the setting, but call her Typhoid Freya. Sure, because that's kind of how she that doesn't works. know her name's Freya though. She's oh, she's lost her memory. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's the sneeze guard. Perfect. <laughs> Guardian oh. of the sneeze. <laughs> sneeze guard. Yeah, there you go. All right. Next question comes from user called Your Tombe. Hey, Griff, now that this book is almost done, are you now more or less interested in playing Call of Cthulhu? I think we had some people following up also mentioning Delta Green. I really want to play Delta Green. <laughs> uh, Call of Cthulhu, I think, would be fun, too. I would rather play those systems than run Lovecraft in Pathfinder again. I think that's fair. I just, I've read some Lovecraft. I've been reading like a little bit more, obviously, because of these books. It's, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I'm almost done with it. We're almost, we're almost out of the woods. Back to the gothic horror shit Back soon. To, well, it's considered a part of gothic horror because of the setting, but yeah, I. I would definitely play in one of those games. I don't know that I would run either of those games. I, I just don't have it in me. Like I just, I, there are plenty of people that have the passion for like the Lovecraft stuff that could do a much better job than I, I would do doing that. Would I, would I freak you the fuck out? Yeah. But mm -hmm. what, like, I don't give a fuck about HP Lovecraft's yeah. like the continuation of his lore or whatever. I'm just going to take whatever pieces of his lore I like and mix and match it That's and make it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think now this question was not directed at me, but I think I also kind of have a take on it. I'm interested in those things, but I don't want to spend a lot of time in there. I, I'd say that I'd do like a, a fun one shot at Delta Green or Call of Cthulhu and probably be 
okay with it. I like I, other I don't universes. Need to spend any time with it. What I want is I want to be run through Delta Green with, I guess, from like two Zone of Truce ago with like all of the nouveau horror shit that we were talking about from. Oh, like I want to be run through a Delta Green that doesn't focus on like Eldritch horror. But focuses on shit like SCP and like creepy pasta stuff and yeah, like that your stuff. siren head and your slant. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. That's a really good idea. We should cut that out and just use it ourselves. I yeah, I, I considered that idea because Chris got really into SCP at some point, mm. and I was like, hmm, we could play that. But then I was like, uh, we're sponsored by Pizza. Maybe we should, yeah, maybe maybe we we should pay well some Pizza shit. Yeah. That's a really good idea, and that's some cool... That that would be really fun. I'd be into it. All right, our last... Trademark. Trademark, Patent. yep. Sorry, can't take it. Too late. Um, I'll shoot you in the kneecap. Mm-hmm. We can uh, do that uh, legally. I'll send an anonymous person. <laughs> I'll shoot you in the kneecap. All right, final question is about the future of the show. This one comes from Argo Crusader. One question. After you all finish carrying Crown, do you plan to do Tyrant's Grasp? I think the answer here is that we have every intention of doing something after Carrying Crown. I'm sure it's going to be something in the Pathfinder universe. You know, Griffin, you can tell me I'm wrong. At one point, the plan was to do Tyrant's Grass. Yeah. But right now, it has a couple things going against it where I don't think it would be a perfect fit for us. One, it is a 1 to 20 adventure path, mm-hmm. which is going to get very, very difficult in the back half of the adventure to keep the momentum up and really be good for radio. It's a lot of fun to play in. We are doing Return of the Runelands right now with characters that are actually level 20, but somebody dies every other combat. Yeah, it's just... That's one thing that I think is a weird expectation for listeners of these kind of shows. It's like, past level 10, you really shouldn't have a rotating cast that much. Yeah. Like... If you guys, like, if one of you dies in this book and you decide to come back as another character, that's fine. But you have a cleric in the party, and it just feels like at a certain point, that cleric should just be trying to bring back the people that are in the party. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not such a huge resource drain in the in the back half of levels. Yeah. And it almost requires me to suspend my disbelief when I see in some other shows that it's like, okay, this character died... And I'm bringing in another character. Everyone's level 15 or whatever. It just seems weird to me when in every home game I've ever experienced, it's like, no, I want to keep playing this character. Just bring them back. It costs us nothing. Right. It's fun to play in. I'm having a good time, but I I don't think it lends itself well to the podcasting medium. I also think there's a couple groups out there that are doing a great job with Tyrant's Grasp right now, and you don't, you don't probably don't need it from us. Right? Yeah. Could we do it well? I'm, absolutely. I'm we sure would do we a great could, job. But yeah. Do we want to do it when it's already being done well? Not really. Like, would I go and do Giant Slayer next? Absolutely not. Right. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't really make sense for us to do when there are some good adventure paths that haven't really been covered well. Yeah, and I I truly don't know what we're gonna do next. We keep kind of changing that idea up. It'll be something, we'll figure it out, but we'll see. Frankly, I hope it's something a little different. 
I, I, I think if we did Tyrant's Grass, you guys might listen and be like, oh, they're doing the gothic horror shit again. Cool. Can't wait to see them fight another skeleton. Gothic horror to survival horror? Wow. Here's another zombie that's uh, I'm going to say absolutely not Strange Aeons. That's fine by me. I'm already yeah. burnt out on uh, Cthulhu shit. Yeah. Lovecraft it, shit. We probably are sounding a little jaded right now, but I hope it doesn't. it actually doesn't come across that way. I just would be more excited if we did something different and fun and surprised you all. And it'll be Pathfinder, but it'll be something cool. Maybe yeah. not what you're expecting. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be cool. It's a non-answer, but uh, I, I, I'll i say probably like 90% chance it's not going to be Tyrant's Grasp. Yeah. So, you know, sorry if that's a bummer, but go listen to Find the Path or Inspired Incompetence. They're doing a good job. Absolutely. Watch us do Tyrant's Grass. Fuck. <laughs> hey guys, guess what? Guess what? <laughs> guess what we're doing next? Uh, we'll see. It'll be something fun. I promise we're going to do something cool, but as much sense on paper as that would make, I don't think it would make for as incredible of an experience as whatever we end up coming up with. And that's just a promise that we're going to come up with something. So. All right. I think that about wraps up all the questions that we had today, Griff. Anything you wanted to add before we headed out of here? I don't think so. Cool. All right. Well, hey, you know, before we actually do depart for whatever we're doing tonight, I just want to remind everybody that we have some very new, very cool designs on our web store. If you're looking to pick up a cool like Bestow Curse t-shirt or something, I know we're working to get glassware back up on there. If it's not already up there by the time this episode drops, I'm sure it will be. We got a bunch of productions logo stuff now. So like our Hideous Laughter Productions stuff the shirts and that we got new hats i think that have the uh have the production skull on it which i really like because it's kind of like a cleaner image than our (laughs) hlp skull yes so check out all of that really cool stuff if you want to support some hlp merch that'd be awesome besides that as always rate and review bestow curse that show is still in its infancy still has a lot of room to grow and it can't grow unless people talk about it so if you got 30 seconds or a minute go on whatever favorite platform that you have and just let people know that we're doing a good job because i think we're doing a good job write a a review for this show too oh yeah you know what do that if you (laughs) come on it's we're so late into the run of this show like why have you not it's like 30 seconds we said we'd send you kissy face picture yeah nobody's hit us up for that surprisingly enough What what the hell all right well thank you all of you that do that We appreciate your love and support every time. But Griffin, let's bring it home. You survived the Zone of Truth. You made your will save. What do you want to tell the people? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.